0: Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. You know what a WikiHole is. We've all been there. You look up a certain celebrity, see how tall they are and whether they've said anything cringe about vaccines. Before you know it, you're 10 minutes into reading about something called a toast sandwich. That's basically what it's like to listen to WikiHole, only funnier. Every episode is a new rabbit hole to explore with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends loaded with unforgettable new information you'll literally never need to know and that's why it's great. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest is Bert Kreischer. You know, as a storytelling comedian, everything Bert does becomes mythic. You know, take a story about how he got into comedy. So in 1997, Rolling Stone literally named him the number one partier in the nation. Uh, in an article that uh, would eventually become adapted into the movie Van Wilder. Attention from that article got him on stage in Florida. Soon he moved to New York, and within six months he was discovered by Will Smith and like started developing shows with him. For the next decade plus, Burt wavered between a successful run as a travel channel host and an admittedly you know, mediocre go-at-it-as-a-road comedian. E- enter the story of Burt's machine story uh, which which Bert and I tell this episode. the story itself, which I'm about to play um, I won't spoil the story but I I want to spoil the ending of the story behind the story. Uh, as a result, Bert's life was forever changed. Um, so what happened is he he told the story in his 2016 Showtime special also, uh, called the machine, and it didn't necessarily get traction. So he posted the video himself, and it, and since it has been watched over seventy million times, seventy million times, and and that's on Bert's Facebook and YouTube alone. It's been ripped and like placed all over the place. So you're assuming it's been watched over a hundred million times. It, it's like a crazy popular joke, it, you know. And 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 in the four years since Bert has become one of the bigger touring acts in the country, Um, he's had two Netflix specials and recently a a Netflix unscripted series, The Cabin, in which he tries and kind of fails at slowing down the pace of his life post The Machine. You know, I, I started this podcast for jokes like The Machine, jokes that take on a life of their own and alter the career of the teller of the joke, you know, forever. With a, with a joke that's popular, many of you have probably have already heard this story, but but I, I believe the story behind the story is, is just as fascinating. So here is Bert Kreischer, the machine.
2: When I was 22, I got involved with the Russian mafia. Here's how it happened. I went to school at Florida State. I was not a very good student. I was there uh, like seven years. I was there in most of the 90s. I I was in college longer than grunge music was around. (laughs) So, this is how bad of a student I was. One time, I signed up for a Russian class thinking it was Spanish, and it took three classes before I realized, I don't think this is Spanish. So I got up to leave the teacher who was hot. He definitely worked out. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't. It was a girl. It was a girl. And she was hot. She still is hot. She stopped me. She goes, Don't go anywhere. I need 14 kids to teach this class. You're the 14th. I need to teach this class in order to get my master's. So if you sit back down, you don't have to do anything all semester, and I'll just give you a C. I was like, uh, Strasvutia, bitches, I'm back. <laughs> So I took Russian one, two, three, and four. Never learned a word. (laughs) Think about what I'm saying. I took two years of a language. Took four semesters of my college career. Four four semesters. Russian four was taught in Russian. (laughs) Do you have any idea what it's like to go to a class and sit there like an immigrant at the DMV all day? Like... (laughs) The end of Russian 4, same teacher pulls me aside. She's like, we're taking a trip to Russia. If you go, you'll get a minor. I was like, okay, hold on. You know, I can't really speak, read, write, or understand the language, right? She's like, I'm fucking well aware of that. you got to remember, I was taking tests in a language with which I was unfamiliar with their alphabet do you have any idea what it's like to take a test and make up hieroglyphics? (laughs) And the answer is star circle hashtag shoe. (laughs) She goes, it doesn't matter. We need kids to make this trip happen and if you go with all the classes you've taken and the ones you will take, you will get a minor. And I was like, that's all you had to say. Let's go to Russia and fuck some minors. (laughs) It's a different. It was different, minor, obviously. Learned that the hard way. So we went to Russia in 1995. This is when the mob ran everything, and they told us that our very first night, they sat the whole class down. They're like, "Listen, we have paid off the mafia to keep you safe. In exchange for our money, they give us two young gangsters." I'm in the room like, "This trip just got fucking awesome." The word for gangster in Russian is banditi. They go, "These banditi are gonna live with us." They're going to walk you to class. They're going to walk you back from class. They're going to take you on field trips, walk you back from field trips. Do not speak to them. They're in the mafia. Do not look at them. Do not engage them. Do not interact with them. I was like, they're going to be my best fucking friends. <laughs> so the first night, I grab a bottle of vodka and a six-pack of Baltica, which is our local beer, and I plan a sentence. I was going to say, Strasvuzia, minasavut bert, ochim briatna. Yara yukoshka. Uh, uh,
1: uh.
2: Does anyone speak Russian in here? I love that someone says no. No. I did a head count earlier. It doesn't look like it. I'll tell you what the sentence says. It's a badass sentence. I worked all day on it. Hello. My name's Bert. It's very nice to meet you. I work pussy. Kind of. It really means I work with cats. I didn't know the fucking language. What do you expect? Uh, It doesn't matter because the second the door opens and I'm face-to-face with a real Russian gangster with the wife beater and the tattoos with the track pants and the cigarette. And he he just stares me up and down. A frat boy from Florida State. I was wearing a fanny pack. (laughs) He just looks at me and goes, stole. I fucking panicked. And everything I had planned on saying flooded out of my head. And all I said to him in Russian in his doorway was, I am the machine. (laughs) And he started laughing. He goes, what did you say? I was like, I'm the machine! He grabs me and he goes, come in and tell my friends, brings me in a room full of nine Russian gangsters drinking and smoking and just goes, stop! Tell them what you said. Now I'm like, fuck it, I'm the machine! They looked at each other, looked at me, and they're like, fuck it, he's the machine! And I became the machine, and these guys loved me. Yes you gotta realize though the reason they loved me is I went shot for shot with them that night all night long until like 4 in the morning but all I knew how to say in their language was I'm the machine and I fuck cats <laughs> so we did everything together we, uh, like the guy that answered the door his name was Igor, he was like my best friend we did everything together, we ran a pool hall scam we stole a boat it was literally the best summer of my life. <laughs> and then one day, the whole class is taking a trip to Moscow. It's an overnight train trip. And I say to Igor, I go, this is going to be a blast. we got to be in the same cabin. And he goes, I can't go. I said, why not? And he goes, different mafia runs train, different mafia runs Moscow. I said, well, hold on. What's that mean for me? And he goes, don't worry. I set up Banditi. I tell them about you. They'll take care of you. Sure enough, we get to the train station, and he introduces me to my two new gangsters, Igor and Igor. <laughs> And he says to me, he goes, guys, this is the machine. If you give the machine vodka, you'll have a great time. (laughs) The big ear of the two Igors looks like a kid on Christmas. He's like, oh, I can't wait to play with the machine. (laughs) He grabs me and he goes, the machine doesn't sit in coach. The machine sits in first class with us. I'm like, that's what I'm fucking talking about. (laughs) We go to first class and it is pimped out with booze, food, and here's the real gangster part. Second the train takes off out of the station, everyone that works on the train comes in to pay their respects. The conductor walked in, rips off the stars and stripes to his shirt, places them on my lap, and goes, this is a present for the machine. (laughs) It would be an honor to do a shot of vodka with the machine. (laughs) I'm 22 years old thinking, huh, these machine stories might have gotten out of control. (laughs) We drink all the booze in an hour and Big Igor stands up and he goes, Machine, we go to the bar cart to get more vodka. I'm like, fuck it. I'm in the mob. I'll do whatever the fuck I want. We roll into the bar cart like a big dick in a locker room. Just, not that I've ever been that guy, but I've seen it. Just smack. You know the look where everyone looks like, oh shit, okay. Oh, someone's here. Okay, all right. Igor looks at me. And in Russian, he says, machine, go behind the bar and grab bread. In Russian, in Russian. And I understood him. For a second, I'm like, I'm fucking learning. (laughs) I'm learning the language my way, not through flashcards and textbooks, but by joining the mafia. (laughs) I get behind the bar, I'm like, Igor, I know what you said. He's like, "Go for your machine. Can the machine find cheese? And I was like, sir, cheese, I got it give me another one and he's like grab vodka I was like I already know that one give me another one he's like grab the money I'm like huh he goes grab the fucking money and I realized at that instant uh we're robbing the bar cart and I'm the one doing it hooked on phonics style I grab the money walk out two of my classmates see me and they're like you're in so much trouble Go back to our first class cabin and within five minutes, the head chaperone of this train trip, not the whole trip, just this train trip. She was an English teacher who did not speak Russian, who hated me before I robbed the train. (laughs) She comes over to our first class cabin and swings the door open with that like liberal arts confidence. Just (laughs) this shit is over. You're done, you're done. Stand up right now. You, you stand up. Stand, how, how, you're done. Stand up. And Big Igor looks at me confused, then smiles, takes a big sip of vodka, spits it in her eyes and goes, no one talks to the machine like that. (laughs) Shuts the door in her face and goes, fuck that bitch, this is Russia. Don't worry, machine, when it gets dark, we have good time. I'm like, "What the fuck are we doing when it gets dark?" Reaches in his pocket, pulls out a ring of keys, and he goes, "We're robbing the whole fucking train." I'm a good person. I don't cheat. On, I don't cheat. On, this why, Let me tell you. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my wife because one morning our whole family was in bed, the dogs, the cats, the girls, my wife, and we were just giggling, and it was pure. It was perfect. And I, don't, I thought to myself, I don't ever want to screw this up. This is the most important thing. This is what it's, life's about. And they got up to make chocolate chip pancakes. And I laid in bed and I said, I will never cheat on my wife. I had a conversation with myself. I said, if I ever get into a situation where a hot girl's flirting with me, or I think she's flirting with me, and it seems like it could go further, I'm just going to cock block myself. I'm just going to look her in the face in front of everyone and go, I don't cheat on my wife! Now, I may be wrong. She may not be hitting on me. She may throw a drink in my face, slap me or I may be right none of that matters to me what matters to me is that I don't cheat on my wife because I've already had that conversation here's the problem I never had that conversation about robbing trains (laughs) so when presented the opportunity I thought I'd be like not me I'm going to go back and work on my verbs (laughs) but apparently when presented the opportunity I'm the guy that's like fuck it let's start with my class (laughs) so we robbed them first while they slept if that makes it better and then we robbed the whole train. And if there's any consolation, we robbed me too. My bag was with them. <laughs> and then we drank all night long. All night long. Like literally until six in the morning. Top five drunkest I've ever been without throwing up in my entire life. We pull into Moscow at 6 a.m. I'm pissed drunk. You ever been so drunk you're like, I know I got to piss, but I can't find my dick. <laughs> train stops. Sun's up. I'm hammered. Door opens. Same teacher. Not mad curious right she looks me in the eyes smiling and goes I want to be the one to tell you they've alerted the police and I look out and on the platform my whole class is standing there with a cop talking they're upset they've been robbed I get it (laughs) apparently they've never heard snitches get stitches (laughs) Big Igor sees this and it's completely unfazed he's like don't worry I talk to police for both of us I was like, oh, thank God. He cracks a bottle of vodka. I'm like, I wouldn't bring that out to an officer maybe. Lights a cigarette, walks out to the cop who's taking a statement. The cop is taking a statement. Igor walks up behind him, grabs him by the arm, spins him around and goes, fuck you. We fuck you in the mouth. We fuck you in the ass. We." I'm like, stop with the fucking we shit. Now, the cop is just staring at me, and I hear him bark out, yom, si, yes, good day, which I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound like you're okay, stay there. <laughs> it is a come to Jesus moment where you know you fucked up. All I thought as I walked to the cop, who's standing in front of the class, I just robbed. Next to the gangster I robbed them with, my only thought was, this isn't how I plan on spending my second junior year. <laughs> and the gulag, taking hot dicks to the throat. I get five steps from the cop, who looks impatient as shit. He takes two big-ass steps, grabs me by the arm, spins me away from my class, away from Igor, pulls me right into his face, and he goes, So, I understand you're the machine. (laughs) Nice. Tonight, you party with us. I was like, what? He's like, tonight you party with us, yes? And I looked at him and I was like, wait, I'm not in trouble? And he gets so close to me, I can smell his morning cigarette. And he goes, no. Fuck that bitch. This is Russia.
0: So I am here with the machine, Bert Kreischer. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, So I I want to start uh, with a question I sometimes ask people. Have, Have you seen the movie The Prestige? I have not. Wait, wait, maybe I have.
2: Maybe I have. Hold on. Is that the one where he cuts his finger off? Maybe. It's like Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman yes, and their magicians. Of course I've seen that. I love that movie. Alright, cool.
0: So I bring it up often in the context of this show because though I have not seen that movie in a long time, I feel like it's a really good metaphor for an artist who who is not just like committed to their work, but literally lives their life to feed into the work they're creating. And I think it's really interesting with comedians who pull from their lives to wonder if they are literally living their lives for the stage. And I want to talk... I want to bring it up at the beginning here because at this time when the machine story was literally happening, you were not a comedian. Being a a comedian was just a glimmer in your eye. So did this This all to say, at that time, even though you weren't a comedian, do you feel like you were still... Living your life for stories, you know, like you're like I'm going to do this because I want to be a person who has stories like this to tell. And if so, where where does that come from?
2: That is a an absolutely fantastic question that I'm going to over answer. Uh, get ready. All right, I'm ready. So I was the guy my entire life that I was oblivious to how I was perceived, how I was mm-hmm. interacting with people, and how I was behaving. Um, I was definitely not the guy that. Uh, your your girlfriend, um, like if we were roommates and your girlfriend was like, I got to set someone up with someone, they would never look at me. I was never the guy, uh, but I was the guy who, when you'd sit at a party, they'd be like, Oh my god, did you hear about the time Bert shit on a pizza box? And and or did you hear about the time that Bert climbed to the top of the telephone pole and yelled, I have marijuana? And they were like a thousand kids, and the cops were like, Hold on, arrest him. And I'm like, eh, It's not here, you idiot. It's at my house. If you like, I was the guy who. I, I and and I I would enjoy it. It would make me giggle. But I I would live a life that I, people then say, hey, Bert, tell them about the time that you we broke into that that, that bar that broke that burned down and we took mm-hmm. all the out liquor and we didn't know the name of it name because all the labels were burnt. And I'd yeah. be like, oh yeah 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 yeah. I would never be the guy telling my own story, mm-hmm. which is an interesting pivot when you become a comedian because as a guy who never told his own story, but the stories were told about him, and that is how I got discovered in rolling stone is the guy that all these stories were told about. I then got into a business where I realized if you weren't telling your own stories, no one was listening. You mm-hmm. had to be your own promoter, which I was instinctually uncomfortable with. I, I mean, so uncomfortable that it would make my skin boil, like or my, my blood boil. And I'd, and I'd, be, like, I'd be like, i be like, I just am not that guy. So the machine story being a perfect example um, that was a story that, I, that had happened to me in, well, I guess, 1995, and I just did not tell people I, I didn't tell people for a number of reasons. It's a long story. Yeah. But number two, it wasn't all on the top of my radar. I, at the time, I was when I got into comedy, I was so obsessed with writing material that seemed like it fit in. I didn't want to mm. be the guy doing something different. I just want to be the guy that got spots that the managers are like, oh, I can identify that. I can put my finger on that. And so the machine story was not a story I ever would tell on stage. It wasn't until I did Love Line with Dr. Drew and and they were auditioning guest hosts of, of, of someone in my class called love line and said hey why don't you tell them about the time you robbed us in russia <laughs> mm-hmm. and i said oh yeah 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 and that is i mean if you're going to get to the to the to the base of who i am as a performer that one moment when someone calls in and says tell them a the time that you robbed the train in russia that's who i am is that oh yeah, yeah 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 the story's not thought out it wasn't written it was just me telling you a story of what i did and dr drew loved it Said, hey, why don't you come back the next night? And then got on again. And Doctor Drew's like, tell him about the time you robbed a train in Russia. And I told (laughs) it again. I told it two nights in a row, which is so odd on radio that he had me back the next night. So, so having said that, that is who I was. I just kind of lived my life really oblivious, Mm. uh, honestly oblivious, like a drunk Forrest Gump, just going through life having fun doing crazy stuff, but that, I, you know, I'm from Florida. That's kind of the norm of all my friends is like, hey, we found a kilo of marijuana on the beach. Let's smoke it. Like, you know, like yeah. it was just that is who I am. So, you know, before
0: it seems like you really started doing this joke in earnest in in, in 2011, which we'll, we'll get to, but you, you had a lot of success really quickly in stand-up, not as a stand-up. Like you, you immediately hit yeah. the ground running as like a host and things like that what did having the story sort of represent for you what did it feed in sort of the perception to you in in the industry outside of stand up
2: I, I don't know what people saw me as i don't think i knew, knew what i saw myself as mm-hmm. i got to be honest with you i mean i felt like i i felt like a like a like a dane cook baby brother a little bit and and then i would get Oh, it was always backstage at a comedy club. It was always backstage at a comedy club. They'd be like, yo, tell the story, tell the story about uh, Tracy Morgan. Tell the story about the time you robbed the train in Russia. And, or I'd go on radio and they'd cue me up. They'd be like, you got to tell this story about the time Ralph Sampson brought you up in front of the whole basketball camp and and tortured you. And because they weren't scripted bits in front of an audience, and it was just yeah. me telling it to a friend, they were so organic and fun. And I would always say, these aren't stage stories. These are just stories. Yeah. And Everyone would be like everyone. I mean, (sighs) Elliot in the morning, cowhead. uh, Preston and Steve, uh, Randy and 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 Bill and and Pittsburgh at at WDVE. Um, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan was the one that really kind of changed my changed my career in that he insisted. I mean, literally insisted. I start telling these stories on stage.
0: Well, it's interesting how you say it. It's like it became a bit of a cliche. But you were like the guy who was funnier off stage than on. Like you were more yourself off stage and it really was like be that guy and it was really interesting i rewatched the the episode of joe rogan you were on where you told this story and he's like you got to tell it on stage and you're like you sit like i can't it's too long you say it would be too hard yeah. um i'd love to hear you talk about what that fear was
2: it's 13 minutes i, I mean yeah. i i remember the first time i told it on stage i told it on on um Elliot in the morning in, in DC one oh one in and, uh, DC one time and everyone, I sold out the whole weekend that I was told the show on the sold out the whole weekend, just told that story on his radio show and everyone wanted to hear it again. And I kept telling them this isn't a stage story. And so then I started telling it on stage and there was so much silence. I mean, you have no, it's a 13 minute story. Yeah. And when that's 13 minutes of me knowing how to tell it, 11 if I cut chunks out but like when you don't know how to tell it that can be like a 15 17 minute story of you meandering on what you think if you're trying to write it and play around with it and i uh, and that was the first time i in dc was the first time i ever tried to t- tell it and i just was like that will never happen again that was painful and that was yeah. the end of my show and it was so painful that i was like i was like i can't do that yeah. so then i tell it on joe and i and i think this is if you're a comic this speaks so much to the shift in what happened to comedy when podcasting opened up the doors mm-hmm. to a bunch of new fans. Is I go tell it on Rogan, knowing full well this isn't a stage story. I'm never going to tell this on stage. Tell it on Rogan, thinking eh, it's a good story. We, you know, it will laugh and and the way Joe's show was set up was you weren't doing radio. You were just going and hanging, yeah, so you yeah. could tell a story and. I told it, and Joe was like, this has to go on stage. And I literally was adamant. I was like, yeah, that's not a good stage story. And he's like, no, you have to tell it on stage. And he was like, as a matter of fact, I, and I think these might be his exact words, or obviously I speak in hyperbole a lot. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. this is how I remember it. But he was like, "From now on, he is only to be known as the machine. And you have to call it out at his shows and force him to tell this. He was like, this will make you a better comic. I went to Columbus, Ohio the very next week. I go on stage. I do my derivative shitty act of Mm -hmm. like of like uh, you know it'd be fun you know it'd be fun you know it's crazy you know you gotta do to your wife it's the the, i mean stuff where i look back and i kind of cringe but but whatever yeah yeah. and i I get towards the end and these this kid's in the front row he's like the machine and i was like oh yeah man that's not a stage story and he (laughs) says hey man that's the reason we're here Mm -hmm. and i was like what he's like that's and he says uh, he says hand on the bible he says we understand it's not going to be good but you've got to tell it to make it good. So no just tell way. it, man. I <laughs> that, swear. I swear. I'm getting chill bumps. I'm getting chill yeah. bumps. And he said, and, and and I hear I remember he was sitting in the front row. I remember dudes in the back. I, I know I know, I now actually know who these dudes are. Mm-hmm. I bought sneakers from some of these dudes. Are sitting in the back and they're like, they're like, come on, Bert, you can do it, man. Don't worry. We'll get we'll get you through it. I swear to God. I That's swear so, to God. I believe and you. So, this I, is so funny. I told it, and it was all podcast fans. And they laughed a little bit, but they didn't laugh a ton. And then we all went to the bar and drank. And they're like, man, that's the most amazing story. You got to keep telling it, man. Don't stop. I go up the next show. That was a Thursday night. I go up on the Saturday, Friday early. Same thing. Tell the machine, man. Tell the machine. And and, and people were at t- other tables who had just heard me on radio. And they're like, what's the machine? And then I started going on radio shows. And that's where you can really play around with the story. Yeah, yeah. Because you have other people to improv off of. I started going on radio shows. And they would be like, They'd be like, make them tell a machine story. I mean, that was like, and then all of a sudden, and I, I, my timelines are always messed up. But yeah, for yeah. four years, I told this story, and I got to be honest with you. For two of them, it sucked. I mean, it, <laughs> it was it was so bad because it was like I would get lost in details. Because yeah, obviously, it's a true story, and I want to share the parts. I, I, at one point, I was I was attached to proving it was true, so I wanted mm-hmm. to share things that couldn't be faked. And and that was uh, that was a mistake. I, I don't think anyone really cared if it was true or not. And then, um, and I would get lost in details, and I, and and the ending wasn't good. The ending sucked to that story. The ending was bad. Is that all, the ending was? So I understand you're in the machine now. I, you see, you think that would be a great yeah. tonight you party with us. You think that would be a great ending? It's not. There's no closure. There's no bookend to it. It wasn't until serendipitously I was in Columbus, Ohio again. I swear to God, maybe four years later and and I figured out the end of the story. And I remember I used to get caught up on the fact that the teacher that swung the door open, and this is bullshit. This is probably yeah. connected to my old stand up. I used to get attached to the fact that the sw- teacher that swings the door open and chastised me that she was Puerto Rican. Uh, and he had never met a Puerto Rican woman and he had the balls to spit vodka in a Puerto Rican woman's face, and, which is so, it's not an important fact, but I yeah, was yeah. so hung up on that. And I, and it was just old school thinking. And then I remember they used to have plants on stage, and this sounds so silly, at the Columbus Funny Bone they had plants, and I said, and I just was like, why? Don't tell him she's Puerto Rican. It doesn't matter. And I, and then I go, well, what's he gonna say? Like, what's he? Like he shuts the door, and and then he shuts the door in her face, mm-hmm. and then he just goes, fuck that bitch. This is Russia, and I saw this plant on stage, and I connected the two and I thought I just planted a seed I get to harvest at the end of this and I went oh my god the cop can say fuck that bitch this is Russia and people know the story's over they know they will no longer hear any more words out of my mouth (laughs) the story's over and then that cues them to go thank you that was a good story like it and I was as soon as I got fucked, that bitch, this was Russia. And this is, I, I will I will go about all comedy with this. Once you can get to, to the end of a joke and close a joke strong, then all the middle part becomes super fun because you don't care anymore. You don't care that you're walking through the forest with no destination. You know that if you get to the edge of the forest, there's a rock outcrop and you get to see that. So the walk through the forest becomes fun and it's not as long anymore. So now, now this 13-minute story, 15-minute story, 12-minute story, all of a sudden, I knew I had an end. Yeah. So I, I, and it made the story so much more doable. And all of a sudden, the story, like within a matter of months, got so fucking good. And I was like, God, and then, and then that dictated the way I wrote all stand up. All stand yeah. up changed immediately for me, where I was like, what am I doing with these like quick, like, well, my wife's asleep. Put my dick in her mouth. You're dreaming. Like well, I'm like, what? that's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm embarrassed yeah. that I did that. Now let's just do these stories that I have in my life because now I know how to tell a story. It was, I mean, it was like a game changer, a real yeah. game changer.
0: You You mentioned that. You know, I think a person will see, a person who doesn't know you or maybe like knows a little bit about comedy will see this story and be like, he just went up there and he told the story. Like that's not hard. He had he lived this story. That's not you don't have you don't have to work on that. He didn't have to write anything. Can you talk a little bit about what writing looks like for you? Like how how are you doing it? How much is it is it all on stage? Are there things that you will write at home? Is it a thing where you like will play it over in your head? Just on a, on a basic level, sort of what does it mean when I say writing
2: for you? So uh, I. think... Uh, I'm, I'm going to attempt to answer this the right way. I think what will happen for me is one event will happen that I mark uh, memorable and 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 stage worthy. Um, for instance, ziplining with my daughters. Ziplining mm-hmm. with my daughters was making me laugh so fucking hard that I could like when my daughters were hitting the trees, and and I know I know that you're not supposed to laugh as a parent, but it consistently kept hit, happening. And, and the fact that we were enmeshed in an Asian family and like, and that my daughters did not pay attention, like I, things. And I literally start, I, I literally start on my phone writing things down, going like picking up details. The, my closer right now that I have is, is a perfect, perfect example of that is, um, I, 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 I have an ability. I find lost things. I, it's a, it's a big thing and I don't want to get into this bit at all, but I found a <laughs> child one time. Um, on 4th of July, he was lost and I helped him find his family and, uh, without giving away the end. And I I don't want to give the way at the end because I want people to see the story is I was confused as to why me and him were having a hard time communicating me and the child and I couldn't understand it. And when I tell the story, you also can't understand it. And then when you see the reveal of why we couldn't communicate that for me was everything. That was like, okay, this is a great Agatha Christie moment where you don't understand that that everyone on the train killed him, right? And I think that goes a little bit more to storytelling. For most parts, it is something happens, um, uh, something happens that I, I mark memorable, and and I and I then once I start with that memorable thing, I then need to find an ending first. And that—that's my my attempt. But you know, you work it out on stage. You you see if you can have fun with it a little bit, and then and then all of a sudden, and then if you can get a big pop on stage from something. So, like in the story I'm talking about, finding lost things, I had another story. I I actually do find lost things a lot. I and and as a matter of fact. Uh, I found a woman's wedding ring at sea C- C- 10 years ago. And she called me three days ago and said, that's my wedding ring. And I'm bringing her on stage in Escondido to reveal that I found her wedding ring 12, 12 years ago now, and that she finally has it. It's the last remnants she has of her mother. And I'm going to close my show that way. And then I look at things and I start going, my point is if I find that one thing and then I can find things to build off around that, that's how I build the story. And, and, but, as always, a sto- you need to know a story's over. And sometimes with me, I can tell you a really great story. You'll laugh hysterically, but you won't remember it until I get that ending. Mm-hmm. And once I get that ending, then then, then my story's done.
0: Yeah. I, I, I want to walk through the, sto- the, the sort of finished version of the story. And I think the thing that I think would be most revealing of your process is to talk a little bit about the things you cut out. Because I feel like this is a story... That is like, it's not like a painting where you sort of like add the layers of it and becomes what it is. It is like a, it's a brick of marble and you're like breaking away the parts that are not this story. So I do think it'll be interesting to hear because there's just so much you are not including because you're deciding this gets in the way of certain things. So I'm going to go through each part, but I think the first question is. The opening line, which is a really interesting way of starting a story, which is like, I'm going to tell you a story now, essentially, which is like, when I was 22, I got involved with the Russian mafia. Here's how it happened. How did you land on like a very straightforward declarative, the story is starting now, start.
2: That's indicative of, of who I am in storytelling. And, in, and I think also I borrow that a little bit from joke writing is, let's take Bill Burr, for example. He'll give you the premise of like, I don't like XXX of things that everyone lo- everyone loves. And now you got their attention. For me, um, I remember being in a green room in um, in Atlantic City and uh, with, with a headliner that I was working with at the time. And all the owners were in. And I remember someone said something about doing something crazy. And I went, I fought a bear one time. And that grabbed the room so quickly. Mm-hmm. It was like, I fought a bear. And they're like, wait, what? It was almost like... I'm going to tell you a statement that's so strong that you have to hear it. Like you, you want you that you, I, you're drawn in immediately. And I think with that opening, it what that wasn't the opening for a long time. What the opening was, was um, I robbed a train and rushed it with the mafia. And th- and this is a good story, but you got to put like, it was almost yeah. like I would, I would, I, cause I, it was such an outlandish story. I wanted people to know you, what you're about to hear is true. And then one day I just was exhausted with it. And I was like, when I was twenty two, I got involved with the Russian mafia. Here's how it happened. And all of a sudden, everyone—I—I I literally yeah. felt an energy shift in the room, and I was like, "Okay." And now, I now every story, um, I have a superhuman power. I find lost things. Like I find mm-hmm. a way. Um, I jumped out of a plane with Rachel Ray. Like I want you to. I want you to go. I kind of just told you the story, but now <laughs> I want you to hear the story.
0: It is funny. You do. What well, it's, it's also useful to be like. Uh, you know the this is going to be the climax of the story and like we're going to like it allows you some leeway at the beginning especially like any setup you it's hard to have momentum when you're just trying to tell people enough information that they know the basics to be able to build the story and i think that's like okay like we, it's almost like again like a mystery novel where you're like okay we need to know all this information because it's all going to be relevant once he starts talking about this stuff i think so going into the first section, and I should note um, for uh, fans of the hero's journey story arc as popularized by Joseph Campbell, in some ways, this does map pretty nicely into a, a hero's journey. So like you have this what is the ordinary world, which you are essentially describing where you are before you get to Russia. And and you talk about Florida State and how you're not a good student and you, you sign up for Russia class, thinking Russian class, but it, uh, you think it's Spanish. And then your teacher makes a deal with you. To, to take four semesters of Russian, essentially. And then um, can you talk about that section and what you decided, like how you decided this is the amount of information that I need to tell people so they can get it. This is the stuff I need to cut because like ultimately they don't need to know these things. And also how this section has the most like jokes, like actual clearly things you've written, like how you approached this part, thinking of all, all those things that I set up.
2: This is the greatest podcast I've ever done in my life. I want you to know that right now. Oh, thank you. This is everything I've ever wanted to hear from comedians. But as a comedian, I I love this process and I hope people are enjoying this cuz I'm about to I'm 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 like I'm this is like comedy orgasm for me. So, the teacher was attractive. I always felt that was super important because that's mm. one of the reasons I was in the class. I always wanted to give people uh reasons for why things happened the certain way they did. It was a, mm. it, I, I used to tell people it was a noon class. It was a noon Spanish class. And then I would add back in the day and I would think that I, I could go into like almost like a John Heffron type of do you remember when we were kids and when you had to sign up for school classes on the phone and they gave you that big book and, and Russian and Spanish were right next to each other. And I thought I, and I, all that shit yeah. not didn't, didn't matter. All that mattered was I signed up for Russian class, thing was Spanish. And it did take me three classes before i realized it was russian because the first class she goes hey we got 14 kids well we're not going to get into this people may drop the class let's just uh let's just come back tomorrow and see what it is and i'm like whatever i showed up late that day and i was like everyone's leaving we're in good nice we got it and i'm like can't believe we're not taking classes the next day we go in and i'm high and i just don't pay attention and she's still doing it and by the third day i was like and these are all things that i thought were important in the story but the third day we got in and I remember she put a new alphabet up on the board and by the way that was a bit I, I was like and then I was like when does Spanish get a new alphabet all yeah. not important not important yeah. to the story what's important is it took me three classes the third class I got to leave what's important to the story is how I got in my opinion why I ended up take, taking four years of Russian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was, it was true and it was a hundred percent true was that she needed kids to, to take this class and 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 once you took Russian one, you were probably going to take Russian two. So she said to me, you'll be there next semester, right? And I was like, yeah. One of the parts of the story that I thought was so important was when she said, and I i, I would argue I cheapened the joke up a little bit um, by just doing this, but I wanted to get through to the story. When she said, if you go, you get a minor, that was yeah. actually a really big deal. So she brought me up to the foreign languages um, annex up in the in the Williams building. And she sat me at a table and a dude ca- and then this was in the story and i love this part i love this part because i can visualize it dude sat down who looked like the marlboro man blonde hair great looking dude great jawline with a cigarette back the back when you could smoke yeah. indoors and he sat down almost like the kgb and he said something to me in russia and i said i have no idea what you just said and he looked at her and he goes you're right he doesn't speak a fucking word of this language he goes, my name is Dr. Lawner. Uh, I run the Russian language department here in Florida State. Listen, if you go, you're going to get a minor. This is, this is. I mean, this yeah. is, he goes, if you go, you're going to get a minor, but you're also going to be really close to being able to major in Russian. <laughs> so you got to promise me that we'll go. We'll give you your credits. You'll be fine. But you can never take another Russian class. And I was like, I don't like Russian. And he was like, <laughs> what? And he was like, I'm just here for the grade. And he was like. He was like, uh, I, literally, he was like, all right, this kid's going to be fun. And I yeah. went. Another thing that was important that I said, my dad was the impetus of why I went to Russia. My dad said, you need to go to Russia. I went to Italy when I was a kid. These are all things that I would put in the story that just seemed to clog it up. People wanted to get me to Russia. Yeah. And so i sizzled all that down to let's get to Russia. And 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 so that was, it was, uh, and, and sadly, and I, I mean, any good comic is going to go roll their eyes right now. All that got sizzled down to, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but it works, whatever, is uh, if you go to Russia, you'll get a minor. And I'm like, let's go to Russia and fuck some minors. Now, that is so cheap yeah. for all the good stuff that I cut out, but it, <laughs> in, it, in my head, it didn't matter. You just needed a joke to get me to Russia. Yeah. I, you, they wanted me to go. So we went to Russia in 1995, and then all of a sudden, we're moving forward. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because it's you instinctually knew like what you're talking about and what you landed on is in, in uh, the hero's journey is like the call to adventure and the, the refusal of the call. Like you, that's like in a, in these story structures, you have this moment where someone asks you to sort of go embark on a great journey. And at first you say no to it. And though you had a much longer story that like might've revealed more of your character, ultimately you realize you still needed some back and forth, but just sort of less of it. And it still captures the same, beat but realize that it's a comedy story and people are going to be like i thought there's a story about russia and then and and as as soon as they slip then i imagine like a house of cards the rest of it is then people are going to be a little paying a little bit less attention and you just need to get there because clearly people are excited for like what is gonna happen
2: Right. They needed a lot of explanation, a lot of a lot of exposition on parts of the story that would pay off later. That were yeah. all true. Like like one of the things and, and we can talk about this later, but one of the things that's very 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 important which is which is an epiphany for me is when we go to rob the bar cart and he speaks to me in Russian. I really genuinely was distracted by the fact that we were robbing the train because I understood him. And I yeah. and I, I'm not I'm not candy coating that at all. So, we're now at what I would call the meeting of the mentor,
0: which is sort of your, 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 your uh, you're in the, ni- you're going to meet Igor, you're building to that. So, it's like, um, it was Russia in the 90s, your teacher paid off the mafia, you plan to befriend the mafia. And in your book, this process is a bit longer. You talk about the plane ride, you talk about your relationship to your teacher and how she sort of stressed out about that. You also set up a bit more about Russia at this time. Um, but again, you sort of, cut that out um can you can you talk about all that cut out and also sort of there's a lot you cut up cut out around just the simple thing of being like you you say i'm the machine you don't explain a lot of the stuff around that either
2: um so uh the plane ride was is when i found out we were paying off the mafia um but it it didn't it didn't make sense that my class wouldn't No, but that is when i found out and and uh and and it was it was such a great it's such a great movie moment but in in comedy the the one detail added to so much more and and i loved the detail but my teacher came back to my seat i want to say i was sitting in row 35 i don't know why little details like that stick with me but i remember being in the back of the plane because i don't like flying in the back of the plane i like flying in the front of the plane and um Came down, sit next to me, and had a drink, and I had a drink. I, I can't remember. If she brought me one, but we sat down, and she unzipped her pants, and she had uh, what, which, which what I remember was probably ten grand, five grand in in cash in a in a hidden fanny pack in her pants, and she was like, "I am freaking the fuck out." Now, what's also interesting about this is that I explained this teacher one way, and 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 and, and I, I used to dive into the details of. Do you remember that, like? I thought she was an adult. She was probably just like a year older than me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was she was my age roughly, but that for me was like all of a sudden when the adventure started is when mm-hmm. she did that, and I, I, I was, and I I, tr- I used to try to keep that in the story because it was. It was. I thought it was great. And and by the way, I feel like I'm just sizzling down to why this story could have been so much better if I was a better comic when I started telling it. And <laughs> yeah, by the yeah. way, it might be. If I was telling this story now for the first time, it would be fucking bananas. Yeah. But but I, at the time, I looked at that and I was like, and and I remember two dudes. At the, we were in an auditorium, two dudes. Um, stay, uh, teachers are in the center. They're off to the right. And they're like, these are their names. Uh, they're going to be our chaperones we have they we've paid them to stay with us um thank you so much and then they walked out of the room and they were like listen and they were very clear they do not speak to them do not talk to them do not hang out with them they are not to be our friends and i already knew what was going on i already knew they were in the mob and that we had paid them off to to keep us safe Mm -hmm. i knew all that detail so what i did is i mashed up that whole thing and just had the teacher introduce them as the mafia but i knew that detail immediately and so i just sizzled that down into the they are the they are our gangsters do not party with them do not because i already knew that day i went out And I got vodka and Baltica 6, which is their beer and the one I like now. Um, And I knew I was going to party with them. I knew they were going to be my friends. And the way it had set up is as as we had already all got our rooms. And their room was right next door to mine. Like literally next door to mine. And across the hall from the teacher who had been passing me through all my classes. Uh, Literally across the hall from her Mm -hmm. and next door to me. And I was like, oh, I am definitely meeting these guys. And by the way, everyone in this rushing class was... Not, they were kids that were interested in learning Russian, if that makes any sense. I was a kid who was interested in partying. So like, you got a bunch of kids that are interested in possibly working abroad when they graduate for the, US, for the Senate or something. And then you got me, who's like, I'm not going to ever use this language. I'm here to get fucking crazy.
0: The thing that I'm, every time, even this the, when I w- watched it most recently, I was surprised you don't include the explanation of why you would say
2: you're the machine which is that's a great that's a great fucking question (laughs) so i used to i used to say and then i I, in the special we did there was a russian in the room i used to pray to god that i get a russian in the room so if i got a russian in the room i could explain how that started i'm gonna fuck this up because once again i still don't speak russian but this is the short explanation i had learned how to say i'm the man right i learned Mm -hmm. a few key phrases i'm the man uh my name's burt kreischer very nice to meet you. I work pussy. Uh I'm the man. Like I, I thought that's what yeah. I'd say, right? I'm the man. So I'm the man is is Yamashina. That's how you say I'm the man. If you say Yamashinu, that means I'm a car. And so I said or I'm the machine. I'm yeah. the I'm the machine. I'm the it, Russian's a very literal language. And yeah. so I said to him, My name is Burke Kreischer. Very nice to meet you. I work pussy, which means I basically means the way I'm doing it, it looks like I'm saying I fuck cats, I'm a yeah. car. And yeah. he started laughing hysterically and brought me in and I didn't know what I had said. I didn't know it. and I used to say that if anyone's Russian in here, is anyone Russian? Translate what I say. And that used to be part of the story every yeah. time. Is anyone Russian? Translate what I say. And what had happened was as the story built, Russians had heard about it. And now and now I, I'm aware that there's more people in, in like Brighton Beach that have heard it. But they would come to the show. I always had people that could translate it in the room. And I would say it and I would explain. I was trying to say I'm the man. And as soon as I'd say I was trying to say I'm the man, they would fall out laughing and they're like, yeah. Of course. it's like the difference between saying it's
0: a pun in russian so it's like a joke for only russians
2: and then i just was like interacting with a russian person created chaos within the story and i could explain why i did it but i don't think any american ever cared they just were like i'm the machine and but that was the literal translation was i was trying to say i'm the man and so he brought me into the room and i thought i was saying i'm the man like he just brought this American in, throw my hands up. I got booze with me. I got a fanny pack. There's another thing I used to take out of this. Mm-hmm. When I, uh, I was, a, I used to say, I was, he was, I was face-to-face with a real Russian gangster. Wife, beater, tattoos, track pants, cigarette. And he looked at me and he's like, which means what? And I said, uh, I said, it doesn't matter what I said. It doesn't Everything that flooded out of my head. All I said to him in Russian was, I am the machine. And I used to say, I had a fanny pack, which is true. I had a fanny pack, a hundred percent true to the story filled with a pocket knife, sugar, and lemons because we were going to do lemon drops. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the only thing that I knew how to drink vodka with. I'd never drank vodka straight. And I fell asleep on that pocket knife, opened that night, and cut my leg open. And like I thought that was an important part of the story. But he brought me into the gangsters, and, and I used to add this when I had the fanny pack in. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm the machine. And they started laughing hysterically. And then I was like, I, I, I'm the machine and I fuck cats and they were like fucking on the ground they're on yeah. the ground laughing and then I pulled out and this was all in there I pulled out uh pocket knife lemon and things and they all started dying laughing and ego goes the machine runs on lemons and they're like oh gush, 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 gush. and i'm like and i'm like yeah gush, 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 gush. and then i used to, and then i used to and this was very important i felt to the story but i took it out just to keep it moving forward i'll give it yeah. verbatim they loved me because all i knew how to say in their language was i am the machine and i fuck cats oh sidebar they also love me because they never saw the movies that we grew up on. This yeah. is verbatim how I used to say it this way. They never saw the movies that we grew up on. So I re- anytime I needed a joke, I reached into a bag called Caddyshack Quotes and dropped it. And I was like I – rem- I remember grabbing Igor's jacket – putting it on one night. And I spent the day learning how to say fat guy in a little <laughs> coat. They'd never seen Tommy boy. They are crying on the ground. They're like, who the fuck is this guy? And Igor stands up and he goes, he's the machine. <laughs> I thought that was great. But once again, it's like when you're talking about a 12 minute story, anytime you get to trim anything out to get to the part, people want to hear. Yeah. I just, and, and, and it bummed me out that I like, cause I used to love that. It's but, a, the thing that I think, As you like the next section,
0: you really like essentially yada yada most of the summer where you just like, and then we became friends
2: and like we did a pool hall scam. And then I used to tell about the pool hall scam and I used to tell about stealing the boat. The pool hall scam was awesome. It was, uh, and, and, but once again, this is a lot of information with a little bit of punch. Um, the deal was 35 bucks to buy the table, $5 to clear the table. It was a different type of pool than I've ever played. It's a big, big table. with. I felt like it had more balls and slop counted. Yeah. So the first time I played, I lost. And this is all I tell this on stage. First time I played, I lost. Second time, I realized slop counted. So I just run the pool cue down the thing and start sinking things left and right. I win that one. And everyone's laughing. I win the next. And Igor's like, he's the machine. I win the next one. And now I'm doing Tom Cruise color of money stunts with a like a samurai sword. Like, "Hiya!" I go, by the fourth one, Igor comes up to me and he goes, it's time to start losing. And I was like, what? And he was like, you're making a scene out of this. And everyone knows you have money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Let's leave this money and leave this bar. True story. So I, I lost. And then they started doing color of money back to me. Uh, and then I would add that we stole a boat. And I would tell you. About the boat stealing, which is another great fucking story, yeah. I thought. But, but in my opinion, they didn't need to hear about us breaking the law before we actually yeah. broke the law. I thought keep it more innocent and a little more to the imagination was a better way to get into the story that they want to hear. The,
0: it, I think that's, I think it's because they're sort of like it's instead of building up to it, which I imagine is what you're thinking. is like. Oh, we should show that I like increasingly was getting corrupted or whatever. Ultimately, like it, it just makes the contrast of who you are in this story and to this this story less significant. And I think that's like what's so exciting about when you're immediately on the train is like we still feel like you're Burt from the beginning of the story, this yeah. like college student. And now you're instead of like you've been doing shady shit all summer. So uh,
2: it had gotten progressively <laughs> shady. And I also liked, and, and this is true. And I used to share this sometimes, but I can't iterate this enough is that Igor was a very sweet dude. He did not, I remember, I I used to say this sometimes in the story. I remember asking him one time, how did you get involved with this? And he was like, I I mean, I I grew up thinking the government was going to take care of me. And then one day it just didn't. And everyone's like, hey, man, you need to have a plan. And he was like, plan? I have no plan. Like, I have no plan. The government was going to do this. And now I needed a plan. And so my friend said, hey, you know. We can go stand outside this club and, and they'll pay us, or we can go buy this, do this thing, and they'll pay us. And, and and Igor was a very innocent guy. I mean, yeah. In the story, if you think about it, and this is a hundred percent true, is that he was watching a, a class, making sure that that he could shake hands with the right guy when the bad time showed up, and that the guy and say the right words, and then he could get us through quicker. I mean, he, you know, we did crazy shit, but for the most part, Igor. Igor was a very 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 good person he really was
0: yeah it I, I, that is the part i will say that i was like i what cuz i you know you write about it in your book but that is the part where i'm like that is interesting uh i understand why you would cut it out because it's a story about you in russia not about like let me teach you about what russia is like
2: but yeah there's a part i used to keep in the story is i was like you guys going to remember they ran our they ran our trip they they yeah. i mean they ran everything and he used to come into my class and 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 i would be hungover cuz we've been partying all night and uh and he would go, just walk in, open the door and go, machine, which means let's go. And no one could say anything. And I, I used to say, I'd, I'd say, uh, I'd just get him go, have fun standing in my jizz, suckers. And we'd go to a bar. As soon as the bar opened, we'd go to the bar and we'd have these little these little cans that just said gin. Like a white can with black block lettering that just said gin on it. And we would go there. We'd have a, uh, I think you called it Molokini Cafe, which is like a Molokini, I think is small, but it was a small coffee, which I didn't know what it was. It was basically an espresso. And then we'd drink gin. And I remember one time he asked me um, if I'd ever done drugs, if I'd ever seen drugs. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've definitely seen drugs. And he was like, you've, have you, do you know people that have done drugs? And I was like, yeah. I said, I've done drugs. He's like, wait, you've done drugs? And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I said, I've done cocaine. And he got so let down in me. He was like, uh-huh. "He was like, why would you do that? It's so bad for you." And I'm like, "Igor, we're drinking gin at eleven o'clock in the morning. Like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And we're killing Molokini cafes or co- small coffees left and right. I think you'd enjoy cocaine. Like, I, uh, but there's a sweetness to him.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's it is interesting because there's a way where you could like contrast your. Completely different versions of like naivete, and like there's things that you're so aware of as an American, but a college student who has who's not aware of this part of the world and he's not part of that. The thing that, um, to move on to the story, which is sort of the climax of the train, the biggest thing you cut out is that there's another guy there with you from your class. Yes, big John gets erased,
2: John Bolshoi is, is that's what they called him, John Bolshoi, which means big John, basically. Yeah,
0: what, what I, I mean. Were there any version where you're like, oh, I should keep John John in, it, or you're ultimately like, this story doesn't work if it feels like it, what what was behind that decision? Had you tried versions where it seemed like he could be in it, or is it ultimately like, oh, for this to work as a stand up story, I just can't include that part of it?
2: No, I, I I honestly, the only thought I ever had was he may not he may be a grown up and he mm-hmm. may not want people to know that he did some bad stuff growing up. It 100%. may not be financially beneficial for him to be a part of this story and in all honesty had this been me alone i'm not certain i would have behaved the way i i did uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, that not to like take the wind away away from this story but like had i been by myself i i may have may have bailed out earlier or mm-hmm. or found a reason to get away all i know is that with him and, and here's the other big part of the story that i can't believe people didn't ask more about John uh, Is spoke Russian so that's yeah. how I communicated with these mafia guys <laughs> yeah. like there's a part of the story where I, I where there's no connective tissue where like I didn't speak any Russian John yeah. was communicating with these guys and so that with the moment when we go to the bar cart and he speaks Russian I mean I learned it the person I was talking to really was John not yeah. Igor I was talking to John and so um, John when you know when was a part and I just thought it was unfair to share a story that like I had done that a lot. I had done that a lot about my buddy Hutch where I talked and my buddy Hutch and Harper where I did a told story uh, on Comfortably Dumb about taking acid and going to Disneyland with them. And right before we were about to air it, they're like, you need to call Hutch and Harper. And I called Hutch and Harper and I was like, oh my God, like I'm about to tell the world they just did acid. Like they may not want their job to yeah, know yeah. that. I never thought about that. And I called Hutch and Hutch is like, oh yeah, don't tell it. And I went, okay, I, <laughs> let me. I've I've already <laughs> recorded it. And he was like, Well, just take my name out. And I go, actually, you're a big part of the story. And he was like, What? And I was like, I, okay. I was like, brother, I need you right now. I have then my special's about to come out and I tell everyone you did acid and that you lost your feet yeah. and that we got arrested. And he was like he was like, well, what if my kids see it? And I was like, I'm sorry, man, I didn't think this through and he was like he was like, oh, I love you, you know, and put it on. And, and then I called Harper, and Harper was like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm, I'm telling the story, and I've got to find John mm-hmm. Bolshoi and be like, hey, man, I know you're probably a banker right now. Because John Bolshoi was fucking a smart dude, a yeah, yeah. big, smart dude. And I was like, I just, I'm going to just take his name out and make it easier so that if we ever record this, I don't have to go find him and be like, hey, man, just so you know, I implicate you in robbing a train. And our class, and him being like, "Oh, can you just take my name out?" And I'm like, "Nah, it doesn't work that way." So, um, so that was the reason I took him out. But that is a, a huge connective part of the story is that John was there for all of this.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing that of from reading in the book and hearing you talk about the thing that I I think you cut out the most is how afraid you were, especially during the part where oh. you're robbing, and how like how concerned you were for your own safety, how part of like you let's rob them in a way where like almost to protect them. And and was that a thing where like if I bring this up now, this story will become a bummer? Did you wrestle think, with like <laughs> listen,
2: I think there are things that I keep back from this story that uh that are very that would turn this into a very sad story. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, let's just say their language, the mobster's language wasn't technically progressive back then. Sure, yeah, okay. Yeah. So like so like the things they were saying were pretty aggressive. And John's translating to me and then and 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 I'm and I'd be serious. Is that um, and 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 this is a little bit of of, of something I, I, that I don't share in the story. Is that um, I remember one time telling we were a little sidebar to this. Mm-hmm. I didn't go into enough detail on on what the train looked like, um, but I remember one time we were in Vietnam. I was with my trip flip crew from Travel Channel, and we were on the identical same train that we had been on that we had robbed. And I told them my my crew. I was like, "This, this is the train we robbed." And I went, come here. I'll show you the cart I sat in because it was, I guess it's just old European trains. And, and when one of my cameramen said, wait, it's not like, uh, they didn't, weren't all sitting in seats. And I was like, no, they were in their own little cabins. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wait, everyone had a cabin. I go, everyone on the train had a cabin. Like first class was just bigger, but everyone had a cabin. And then I showed them how you robbed a train. And I used to go into detail on how you robbed a train. You slide the door open. Little Igor would climb in, slide in on his belly, start pulling stuff out in the hallway. You know, it's four in the morning five in the morning you'd go through their bags and john and i were kind of protecting Uh, there's no nobility in my behavior on any of this i can't i can't try to feign that i was a good guy but i will say that john was bigger than one of the igors and me Mm. and and john was a john was like hey man like we got chicks on our on our crew like we're not we can't just let them just take off and just go through everyone's cabin we got chicks and i was like I was like, yeah, and and that and and I think most of John and I the entire night we were just staring at each other in wonderment of like what we were a part of, what we were doing, and then you know they'd be like, Bert, you slide in, and I was like, I remember sliding in. I'm, you know, we the other part of the story that I used to put in is we robbed me too because yeah, yeah. my bag was with them. <sighs> And so we pulled my bag out, and they stole my da- my dad had given me a pocket knife that meant a lot to me, and they stole that and my camera. I had to be like call my dad, and I go, "I need a new camera." And He's like, "What?" And I was like, "I got robbed." And he was like, "I robbed oh my, my God. own camera." Yeah. So the yeah.
0: The, the other thing we, we talked about the ending, which but in in the book you allude to the fact, and you've talked about the cops that you. Eventually, do hang out with. I was terrifying. They, te- they were scarier than the mobsters. There's, there's, there's a part where the the book story ends where you're like sitting in your hotel room where you're getting phone calls from the cops and you just, and you don't want to pick it up. If
2: John bolshoi hears this podcast, the one thing he'll remember the most, more than anything, was me and him shared a room and our phone rang all day nonstop. I'm saying I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. We could not sleep. It could not, it would not stop ringing. It would not stop ringing. And both of us were, I mean, shitting ourselves at this point, going, We're getting kicked off this trip. We're in so much trouble. We're in, and, 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 and a little, another part I didn't put in the story, but is really important is we're ready to get our asses chewed, get Mm -hmm. sent home, everything. And they didn't say anything the whole time in Moscow. And then, The day before the day, the day we're leaving on the train to head back to St. Petersburg, my teacher, the one that was cool that got me through all the classes, came inside to both of us, and she was close with me and John both. She said, "Okay, so obviously there's a new rule—you can't rob anyone on the train—but we have been asked to see if you guys would party with those gangsters again." And I was like, "What?" She was like, "Because they're really excited to see you guys. They had a great time, and..." we've been informed that technically nothing bad happened and mm-hmm. so you know we need you guys to party with them again and both john and i were like are you fucking kidding me and this time we just got on the train we drank with them there was a, it was a little darker energy on the ride home if yeah. i remember correctly it was a little darker energy and i think they just took pictures of me shitting but um <laughs> but uh but yeah and john and i were floored and then we had a big class meeting by yeah. the elevators. Uh, and I remember people were really upset and people were v- very angry at what had happened. And, you know, pe- some people had had vodka spit in their faces at certain points of the evening. And and uh, and I remember Igor, my Igor, coming out to the elevators and he's like very blatantly. He's like, the machine's done with this. Machine payidiom." And I was like, yeah. what? And he was like, and he looked around and he looked and he goes, you're children. You're being children. You're all sitting here. No one got hurt. Everyone, Mm -hmm. you guys lost a little money. You lost a little camera. It's not a big deal. The machine's done with this. Let's go. And I just got up with Igor and I was like, I guess this is over. And I just (sighs) left.
0: Yeah. Wow. The, the, um, there, it ends in the way that I think feels like the, the, the ending of it and it is exciting, but there is not a, and uh, this is not saying stories need to have this. There isn't a moment where you're like, and this, the moral of the story is if you're in Russia, don't blah, 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 blah. Um, I definitely had that in
2: there. Yeah. I I had the moral of the story is I definitely had that. I definitely what? um yeah uh the uh, the moral of the story is when in when in Rome, Rome if you want to, and when in Russia, fuck it. Sometimes you gotta rob motherfuckers. That was like that was I had that as an ending. I've had every fucking ending you could ever imagine. Yeah, I had the ending where we go out with the cops and the, and then the ending was um we go to a strip club and the cop we walk out of the strip club hammered and the cop throws me the keys and he goes you drive and I was like. You, you want me to drive a cop car? And he was like, yes, fuck, what, I am police. What is the worst that could happen? And I was like, fuck it. I'm a machine. Let's do this. That yeah. was an ending. I had a bunch of different endings, but it wasn't until I found Fuck That Bitch, This Is Russia where, I, where the audience knew the story was over.
0: Without telling them what the takeaway is, what, what do you feel like, what were you hoping the takeaway is?
2: The takeaway from the story?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it could be nothing. I just wonder if you were like, you know, do you feel like in so much as do you do you feel like they learn anything about you or do you feel like they learn anything about Russia you know like what what do you think the takeaway is I
2: will I will say I I think at one point you get so caught up in the momentum of mm-hmm. of of a story like that where you you, you don't think about it you know yep. you don't think about It's, it's, this sounds crazy, but it's almost like the, you know, the the movie Blow where the guy starts moving marijuana and then starts moving Coke and then he can buy a nice car and then it's a house. And with that story, it just got so, I just wanted it to be good. I wanted to prove to myself that I could tell a story that I don't think I had any insight in what the message was. And I know for a fact the messaging can be, especially to, to your children, different than you intend it to be. I remember my daughters one time, um, when they were sharing a room, which means they were probably, you know, first grade and third grade or fourth grade and f- fifth grade. Like, you know, they were very young. I remember walking in and they were like um, saying something. And George is like, not daddy. And Isla goes, no daddy. Or no, George was saying daddy. And Isla's like, not daddy. She goes, no daddy, Isla. It's true. And I go, I walk in. What are you guys talking about? And they said, Georgia said you robbed a train one time with some bad men. Is that true? That can't be true, right, Dad? Yeah. And I was like, fuck. And I was like, all right, hold on. And I got a glass of wine, and I sat down at their little table, their little white table that had stickers all over it and markers. And I said, all right, I'm going to tell you a story that's a true story. Okay? And I, and, and I used to tell them stories about, you know, crazy stories, that, and they loved to hear like fighting a bear or taming lions or washing yeah. an elephant, all these great stories. And I told them the story and they were on the edge of their beds. I mean the edge of their beds. And you know, obviously I, I candy coated a little bit and explained parts that I needed to. So when I say the cop um, Igor says to the goes over to the cop and he's like is like says a bunch of stuff I just said says a bunch of stuff in R- Russian. He's like and yelling him in Russian. Then the cop looks at me and he's like Which I don't know what that means, but it doesn't mean, like, you're okay. You'll be there. Isla stops. Isla stops. She goes, stop, stop, stop. I can't. You can't go on anymore. I have to know. Do you go to jail and get in trouble? And I'm like, you fucking idiot. I am right here. Like, I am here with you. You're alive. Like, clearly, I don't get in trouble. Yeah. But I was like, Isla. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Isla. You got to listen to the story, baby. And she's like, oh, Georgia, Georgia, what do you think happens? And Georgia's like, I don't know, Dad, just finish the story. And I go I go up to the cop, and then he looks me in the eyes, and he says, so I understand you're the machine, and these two lose their mind. They're like, he knew who you were? And I was like, yeah, I think that's what Igor had been telling him, you know, is – i'm with this guy he's them and they're like oh my gosh oh my they had so many questions do you still and then this is back before the story went viral and yeah but this is back when you know it you, you couldn't you know that it was just a good story and yeah they were like oh my gosh and then i was like and then i left the room and i listened to them talk to each other about uh about whatever they were like do you do you think like they were going back and forth asking each other questions and my wife's like that might be the best version of that story you've ever told.
0: Oh. I think I think that part it's interesting because like when I think of the story of the machine like yes the story ends there but like to me the story like is now, right? I think the story yes. keeps on going and like the story includes the story of the release of the machine, right? Cuz so in November 11th, 2016, the machine the special comes out on Showtime, but it wasn't until I believe the week between Christmas and New Year's, which you've told before, is like it was very significant because of when the audience, like there was just a bunch of people ready to watch this joke at a time when you put it out there and you put it on Facebook and you put it on YouTube and, and it explodes in ways that very few jokes ever have. I mean, I've had some people on recently who've had jokes like this, but even compared to, you know, Shane Torres' this Guy Fieri joke or... Mexican's gone on boots this is like astronomical viral what does that feel like the viralness feel feel like that happening to you
2: um I didn't you know I've I've said on stage and I used to say this on stage there was a long windedness of of me around the the last seven eighths of the joke where I had to explain Mm -hmm. why it went viral or that it went viral I would say that it went or something to that effect um very candidly, very, very, very candidly, uh, I was at the lowest point in my career and life that I'd been ever um, at mm-hmm. this point. So uh, I, I'm i trying to pair up everything, but I had gotten fired from Travel Channel. Um, my buddies, Bill Burr and Joe Rogan, I think this is everyone that's watching the documentary in the store, had told me your Travel Channel show sucks. And I'd got, I was in therapy. Um, Tom Segura... Uh, Who's my best friend was doing a tour that I was supposed to do with Funny or Die, the Oddball Tour, Mm. and we had privately discussed how much we were getting paid, and he was getting paid literally twenty-five times what I was making, and that, and 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 I was like internalizing that, and then I got fired off that tour, like they decided not to take the guy, Mm. take me with you. They canceled like twelve dates, and they canceled all my twelve dates. I had no dates going from the release of my special until New Year's, no dates. I did nothing. My special comes out. Showtime was like, maybe I'd wear a shirt if I were you. I was like, I think this is my thing. I don't wear a shirt. I mean, it's just how I perform. And they're like, I think you're giving people a reason to change the channel. They were very accurate. No one watched my special at all. Um, yeah. I think it was like the one of the bottom rated specials that they released. Uh, my wife started demolition on a house. I now have no income. Thinking, how are we gonna rebuild this house? Like, I'm, I'm. My wife wanted me to get a vasectomy. Um, Tom and I are in this huge fat shaming thing where all I'm getting online is fat shaming. You're a fat fuck. Bert eats mayonnaise on dick. Whatever it was. All this is happening. I am so lost. I am signed up to do New Year's in um, in Oxnard, and they give me a good payday for a New Year's show, and no one shows up. I do Thursday, and maybe there's 50 people in one of these new mega clubs that has 500 seats, and I know that I'm I know they're hemorrhaging money on me. I know they are, and I am like I am I'm telling you, bottom of the barrel, bottom yeah. of the barrel at this point in my life and i say this if you're a comic listening to know i remember dane cook said the one time the one thing i love about this business is every day is like a lottery ticket every day you get a call they're like "Hey man, crazy joel schumacher just saw your stand-up and he wants to put you in a movie and then things change immediately and i was like i remember going well let that happen to me once i hired a marketing company for six grand a month to help me get views on my videos they did nothing and randomly, I released yeah. it on I think the twenty seventh of Jan- of December. I think yeah. it's like twenty sixth or twenty seventh. Yeah, yeah. The way that the way that that week worked out, Christmas and New Year's were on like a like a or like a Wednesday and a and a Tuesday that year, or t- Wednesday and Wednesday. So everyone had this huge swath of period of time off from like a Sunday to another Sunday. So it was like a huge vacation spot for everyone. And I the day I released it. I just, it, it just happened to be the, it happened to be the right time for people to watch videos. But even more importantly, um, a, a young lady commented on it on my page. And that comment was comment read. Um, I, something to the effect of, I was in Bert's rushing class. I was on this trip. This story is a hundred percent true. He fucking robbed us. <laughs> and, and because of that and I believe, and I could be wrong, maybe this story is great, but I believe because of that comment, yeah. people saw that comment and, and, and then people would screen grab it. And like, you know, like the viral video people that do that for a living, like the fat Jewish type people, they would then put that on their page with the block comment. lettering on top and on bottom. This is a true story. Like this is a hundred percent true. And, and, and I will tell you this, I did Thursday show posted it Thursday and And got on stage and looked at it, and I was like, I was like, no views. I got, I did no views, but like a ridiculous amount of shares, which I thought was odd. Yeah. I did Friday's show, and I remember it had like 3 million views, and I went, oh, that's good. That's got to be good, right? I did, all I remember is New Year's Day, I had a weigh in with. Uh, Joe and Tom the next day where we were doing this big fat shaming campaign and I listened to Credence Clearwater Revival I drank that night, I shouldn't have drank because I'm on a weight loss challenge I drank New Year's Eve, I woke up and I looked at my phone and the views were at like 7 million I was at the bottom of my career and and I felt that New Year's morning I'm hungover I know that I'm going to lose this weight loss challenge I know that my beard's about to get shaved off I'm driving from Oxnard to L.A. And it was one of the most beautiful rides I've ever had in my entire life. The sun was coming up. Uh, I knew I was going to spend the day on the treadmill trying to burn off calories. I think this is going to be a good year. I remember thinking, I won't embarrass myself at clubs. These clubs that have offered me, and I'll give you a real quote: was twenty. My, my club, my quote was ten grand to do a weekend. I won't embarrass myself. I think I'll. I think I might help. This video might help sell some tickets, and then I just watched the story climb. and I remember going to do weigh-ins with Tom and Joe, and I was like, "Yo, I think my story's going viral." And they blew it off. You can hear me say it on Joe's yeah. on Joe's podcast. They blew it off. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, it's going viral." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that coupled a bunch of things happened at that time: the weight loss challenge, the the story, that girl's comment, the fact that everyone had that huge period of time off, all kind of culminated in. The next weekend, I was on the road. I lost weight loss challenge, shaved my beard off. I'm in the stress factory of Vinnie Brand. It's a it's a blizzard, and it's sold out. And I walked on stage, and I literally said, "What? Are, why are you guys here?" And someone said, "The machine." I said, "Oh, I don't I don't tell that anymore." And they're like, "What?" I said, "I put that on my special. I'm retiring it. I'm done with it." And this one guy in the back was like, The fuck you are. I just saw that on Facebook over Christmas. You're telling that fucking story. <laughs> I sold out the whole weekend. 10 grand was my guarantee, no bonuses. And Vinny Brand came in the back with five grand extra. And he was like, I had the most amazing weekend on a yeah. blizzard. I got to bonus you out. And I remember I ended up doing, the, I ended up creating the weight staff raffle based off that bonus, which was another thing that kind of went, you know, nothing went viral like the machine, but yeah, to watch that go viral was, I mean, I remember someone introduced me to Google Trends then and you just watch this this like yeah. dotted spike spike in the air and you're like wait what does that mean how many people might watch a story and it was a game changer it was a, it was a little it was a literal it 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 changed everything in my life that one story that yeah. one story I used to say and I'll say this I say this across the board if you want to be a successful comedian You need one thing to shift the needle. You need one event. What you also need is a body of work behind you. So when they see that one event, they can go and go, holy shit, this is that? Oh, my God, he fought a bear? Oh, my God, he's got a spell. Oh, my God, he had TV shows? What's the the – Bill Burr's Philly rant shifts the needle. Ready? Jim Jeffries getting punched at the, head the comedy store, goes viral. Then you find Jim Jeffries and you see his body work. Joe Rogan, the Carlos Mencia stuff, shifts the needle. Then you yeah. go, oh my God, look at all the shit he's done. It, it, and I think that machine story for me was my shift the needle. And then you said, oh, he's he's been doing stand-up for a long time, he's got a lot of material out there. Oh, he's been on Rogan four or five times. Oh, he just did this fat shaming campaign. Oh, yeah. he's with doing a song with Scott Stapp on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was so important, but man, that one story yeah, and listen, you can. I can. Cry, I can credit my whole career to Rogan by going. Yeah. You've got to tell it on stage, but it's yeah. true that one story. We'll be
0: right back with more Bird Kreischer. Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued, or what was in Al Capone's vaults, or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast WikiHole from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes in Wikipedia with host Darcy Cardin and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you'd learn that that's the science y term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link. To link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or an Apple Podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Write is right for you at Canva.com, designed for work.
0: Canva! And we're back with Bert Kreischer. One thing is the, the section about you don't cheating on your wife. And how that came a part of and fits it.
2: So funny. I just needed, I, so that was like, out of all the things, if we're going to talk about like, if we're going to, if you want to draw the analogy of, of, uh, of a joke is basically for me, a story is sometimes just combing out knotted hair, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the one section I didn't comb out very well, but I've combed out much better now, but I never mm-hmm. really got through. I never could, I never could get the, the chunk right. I don't even remember how it goes anymore because I don't tell it like that anymore. I don't tell it like that anymore. Now I tell it very succinctly, like I told you of why that's. I say, um, uh, I'm a good person. I don't. Cheat okay, okay, on. okay. Right, this right, is right, right, why there. I let stop it tell there. you. Stop yeah, there. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did that. I did that in, in sometimes in defense. I didn't want to see too ca- too callous. I did that. Yeah. I'm a good person. I don't. I don't. I, I'm. I'm. A, I'm a good person. I'm. A, I'm an okay person. Do I say that after that? No but, oh, that's, not, but that, yeah. that's
0: yeah you just say i'm good and then you go and right into cheating on your wife i don't cheat either. on my
2: wife i like I'm, i wanted to establish parameters of what i believed the average person was capable of mm-hmm. versus what i did and I, and I think that's why i did it that way and then i ended up getting rid of it entirely now and and by the way when i told this version this wasn't real but mm-hmm. now i say um and it's much better i love it this way so much better i go um He's like, we're robbing the whole fucking train, and I take a beat, have a sip of vodka, give it a second. And I go, now this is the most interesting part of the story, and I've heard this story a lot. Uh, I posted the story on December twenty seventh, four years ago, and then I tell why it went viral, and I say, and which is true, she tagged she she tagged all my classmates in that in that comment. Uh, I robbed this. Now I say, she her what she wrote. She tagged all my friends, and then they replied to a lot of the questions people asked. They replied honestly. And then you couldn't pay for that kind of marketing, but I robbed her. We robbed the whole train. And now I skip all that. But yeah. it was just, it was just I never combed through that. And a lot of what, for me, a story is, is just combing through it and getting it to be succinct and getting to the point of what you need to tell. And as a person who relates to that, I, I was thinking
0: about what you often talk about on your podcast on podcasts is sort of you have this sort of constant fear of death that, com- that comes up that a lot of creative people do. But I do feel like there is a connection to the person who lives the machine life of like, I need to say yes to this. I'm going to go in it. I, There's a certain sort of like, I need to have experiences. I need to leave a mark. And the person who's like, I need to work. I need to create a legacy. Do you feel that connection? Do you feel like these are similar drives that like create
2: the combination that is Burt Kreischer? Yeah. I have a, a, terrib- a terrible fear of death and I have a terrible fear of not living, of not being maybe remembered. I guess I don't know I, I I sometimes wonder what the point of life is and you look at someone like Teddy Roosevelt and I I don't know why I use him as an example <laughs> sure. but people like people send me quotes of his and and you go god I would love maybe that's how you live on in life I don't know what the answer is but I know it's not I know it's not I know it's not the first 15 years of my career as yeah. that's not how it works is being on travel channel you're not getting remembered for that no one's getting I mean Anthony Bourdain will but not me and and mm-hmm. And doing open mics, it's like I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I have a I have a terrible fear of death. Like I, I did it this morning. I just laid in bed, and and when I live a healthier lifestyle, like uh, and I take breaks, like I am right now this November. I'm running. I'm trying to finish up a thousand miles for the year, and I'm eating healthy. And I'm not. I didn't drink last night. I woke up this morning. And there's a little bit of a weight off my shoulders of mm. death isn't next door. But uh, there are times, I'll, I'll tell you very candidly, when, when I was, we did a run right before COVID hit, we did a run where we stayed in New York for a week and we partied every night, went to a Rangers game, a Knicks game, went every, and by the way, COVID's out there. It's out yeah. there at this time. And, and, and then we did a run. Through Wilkesbury, to through um we're going to like, I'm on the Jumbotron at the Rangers game, drinking beers, and people, I didn't have enough beer. People were just pouring their beer in my beer to help me out so I had a full beer. I'm like, oh my God, I'm definitely catching this disease. And I woke up driving from New York to DC to go to Constitution Hall. And I said to myself, I was like, I was laying in bed, and I was like, okay, I can't get through this year. Like I'm not yeah. if I, if this is the pace I'm at, I'm gonna die. Like I I, I really run a risk of having a stroke or or having a heart attack or having finding liver cancer or having my liver just collapse or having pancreatitis or something and i was like god i need you to give me a workaround i literally said this i was like i don't want to stop what i'm doing i don't want to stop touring i need a workaround and and then god stepped in and was like how about a pandemic and i was (laughs) like huh and then i didn't drink for 60 days i felt amazing and I started getting really antsy. I was like, "All right, I got to come up with something. <laughs> yeah. I got to get back on the road." For this is this is bullshit. I can't just sit here and sit on my hands for a year. Are you kidding me? I'm not that guy. So I doubled all my podcasts. Started a drive-in movie theater tour. Did a TV show. Did another TV show. Sat in a bubble. I mean, it's like it's like now I'm working just as hard as when as when the pandemic was before the pandemic.
0: The the other thing I was thinking about in terms of the machine and it, it, this is the sort of the double-edged sword of becoming a successful comedian that every comedian has to deal with. But I, I want to hear your thoughts on it, which is, you know, you've said, for you, the art of comedy is getting people you don't know to laugh at something you said. However, as what that becomes increasingly hard when you have a larger fan base, when you have people that know you and know you well, like especially like people that know you for your podcast. I think as your car- career has gone on, it's really interesting how, you'll talk about your daughters in sort of shorthand. You don't need to like re-explain who they are. How do you sort of wrestle those two different things of like that part of you that was motivated to, to tell jokes to people who don't know you and the fact that you're now playing to people
2: who are excited that you're doing just you. This is going to sound like a parent answering this. Um, in those formative years of your stand-up comedy, the way you learn how to write, and the way you learn how to tell the jokes, and the way you trust your own voice, mm. you got to hope that that's just like you raise your child so that when you put them into the world, they behave accordingly and and that you gave them the tools to interact with other humans and not you raise this lunatic who was waiting to be a lunatic in the wilds. You just hope that when you start doing stand-up your sensibility is so in tune with who you are as a writer and a, and a creator that when you do get those fans, you don't take advantage of that opportunity and just go out and literally just go out, rip your shirt off, kill a Tito's, and then just go, "I'm the machine." Yeah, yeah. That you go out, you rip your shirt off, you kill a Tito's because that's <laughs> also who you are. But you you write new material. You write new material and you challenge yourself and you take you 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 are a student of the game bill burrs informed me more on how to do stand-up than anyone because every i I, every time you he does something brand new in a special or you watch sebastian and go man he i you know i wish i could add more to my like sebastian's such a dynamic performer that you go i want to add more to my i i can be a little more physical i think i have pulled myself away from that and so Mm -hmm. i think challenging yourself and also, you know, and, and this this is an opportunity in there, but is doing the store. You go to the store, you'd be shocked how many people don't know who you are. You know, mm. um, you mentioned your wife, and it was something that I, I
0: was wondering. She's credited as an executive producer on your last special, which yeah. I've not seen. <laughs> is what what does that um, credit signify? It's
2: because she's she's brutally honest. Yeah it's almost like she doesn't like me sometimes (laughs) like the things she says i mean the things she says are brutally honest and uh and i i i don't trust a ton of people when it comes to like it's really tough to trust like younger comics when you're like hey man can you take a look at my hour Mm -hmm. and and because they're they i don't i mean this respectfully but like if david tell had asked me when i was a young comic to look at his hour i'd have been like it's genius yeah. I would have never seen I would never seen certain things that I know now as a professional comedian that are that are uh cheats or or exhausting or weak and my wife for whatever reason I don't even know if she likes comedy but <laughs> like I remember I remember the first the first time we did Philly uh the fir- for first secret time I was like what's up Philly and I remember her just going no one gives a fuck you in Philly I was like, what? She goes, honey, they're watching this on Netflix. Do you think anyone's like, oh, cool. He shot it in Philly. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. that's, you're, that's wasted time. Like, really, honestly, like, brutal. That's wasted time. Get to the fu- – tell a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. So, t- the name is special. Secret time. Tell a fucking secret. Yeah, my wife's a savage. It's yeah. not great living with all the time, but she's a savage. She's a great person to work
0: with, though. The, yeah. Um One thing I've uh, long wanted to talk to you about, it's and I, I look out for it when I look at your podcast, is when you have anyone – related to the alternative comedy world on <laughs> yeah. i just find it so interesting because every time they are surprised about when you talk about it and so you you mentioned it and, and when you talk about it you do contrast your broness with like whatever this idea of what alternative comedy is and the spaces that sort of didn't work for you for whatever reason i, I have less of a question but i would like to hear you like talk about this presentation of you as this broke comedian with this world, it seems like you'd like to be a part of.
2: Yeah. I think, I mean, well, who said it? You don't want to, I don't want to be a part of the country club that wants me.
0: Oh, I don't want to be a club that would have me as a member. I don't want, what, I don't want to be a member of a club that would have me or whatever the the Groucho Mark quotes quote is.
2: Yeah. Groucho Mark. Um, I, what I gravitated to more sensibility wise, what made me laugh harder was the Howard Kramers, the Brody Stevens, Dimitri Martin, Mike Birbiglia. Um I mean, I love, I love Kevin Hart. And by the way, mm-hmm. I, I'm not knocking Kevin Hart, but we're, if we're talking time frame, yeah, when he started versus when I saw these guys start, what they were doing to me was a lot more interesting than what Kevin is doing. And I have to say that Kevin Hart is is a brilliant comedian. But a lot of those people, I just liked the way their approach was, and 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 then and then the bummer for me was. You'd go to try to say hi to them, and and you would realize that they didn't want to make eye contact, or they didn't definitely didn't want to touch you, and yeah. like and you and I was and that's not who I am. I'm a hug guy. I'm a let's do it, get a beer, let's talk. It's always been a little bit of who I am as I played baseball, got recruited to go play college, but like I, I can, I'm I'm that guy. I'm really that yeah. guy, but I'm also like a little more sensitive. Then and I and I would keep secrets about myself because I didn't want to share too much of myself, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely not an alt comic, and I'm not like a, I'm not like that guy. Like, but like I like the Smiths too, you know. Like <laughs> I like Susie and the Banshees, you know. Yeah. Like there's two sides of every personality. I'm sure there's parts of of I'm um, maybe Paul F. Tompkins is sitting on his computer watching Kimbo Slice fight videos. You never know, you know. So, um, but yeah, I I love. I mean, I I I love all of that shit. And and I think it catches people off guard, and it's really amazing. Like when you talk to like Eugene Merman, and he's never heard of me. Yeah, yeah. I listened to that.
0: I was like, I was like, this is very. At the end, you're like, do you know who I am? Like, have you? He had no idea who I was. Yeah, yeah.
2: But yeah, I. I, I'll tell you, man. The truth is, I like to laugh, and there are so many people in the alt scene that can make you gut laugh in a way that you've never laughed ever, and so I'm never gonna deny. Wa- wanting to watch funny shit yeah. at all i love funny shit yeah
0: um i i think we've now we've talked for a while so i i, I think this has been nice i want to bring up a uh, time you hurt my feelings you didn't realize you oh hurt my feelings God. don't worry about it it's not that bad i don't think it is i'm partly bringing it up this way as a way of saying you didn't really hurt my feelings but it i didn't even notice it was you but so two years ago i wrote an article for vulture about a trend that I was noticing in comedy, where laughs were deprioritized. De- um, to me, the piece was not advocating for one way or another. It was just saying this thing was happening. I was talking about Nanette, the Drew Michael special. There was this show forever. Um, yes. And the the the, yes. the word I coined was post comedy. Um. And you were on the Bonfire podcast with Big J and Dan Soder, um. And you and you all really laid into this article. You said, "Fuck vulture." You didn't know my name. I don't know if you read the
2: article. I did read the article. I remember okay. this article.
0: So later in the conversation, you sort of like, you're like, well, and I know you like Nanette and you, you talk about Nanette and you think about like, well, if that really means something to these people, then maybe it is a good thing. And I I'm, I don't expect you to apologize. But you're the first person I talk, I've talk i talked to of a certain group of comedians who really reacted negatively to that article at you the know,
2: time. You know why, right? Why? it's it's well that's what i want to know it's uh, i i i'm i'm gonna try to remember the article i remember this article very 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 well um and i remember being personally offended by it it felt like the kids at the thanksgiving table we're rolling the uh, their eyes at Mom and Dad going, "Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go to a bar and hang out, and Mom and Dad want to go to the bar and hang out, but they're not allowed to. It's the same shit I've probably had with the alt comedy scene where I was yeah. like, "I've never been invited to do anyone's shows. No one ever has asked me to do a show. Not only that, but they don't even know who the fuck I am, and so the thing I do, which is only go for laughs, I can't do what Nanette does or what uh yeah. Hannah Gatsby does. I cannot. I definitely can't do what Drew Michaels does at all, like I don't know how to. I don't know how to, and I don't know, I wouldn't know how to do it and do it well. Like, yeah. you know, Hannah does what she does, and there's such confidence in what she does and such a, a voice and a thumbprint on what she does that I was like, and I am the exact opposite. Yeah. Like, I am almost like, like, put like 100, like shirts off, what's up? Like, you know, yeah. Um, I remember... I remember feeling like you were right a little bit like there was a uh, there was a truth to it and i didn't want that truth to be real i didn't want people to read it i didn't want people to know it i didn't want people to say to say um to say you know hey guys the comedy store is going to be over in five weeks all these guys with these dick jokes and these unwoke jokes that the new future of comedy is like is like have an agenda. Speak about that agenda. Get those people with that agenda to come to your shows. Don't make strangers laugh. Don't like. And mm-hmm. I and I remember. And by the way, I will say, you know, please, please always remember that I was on the bonfire. Yeah, so yeah. like, so like, it's like, <laughs> it's one like, one right. s- it's like saying like, uh, you know, you made fun of vegans at a clan meeting, and you're like, yeah, yeah. well, okay, I, there, it could have gone worse. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: no. Actually, in retrospect, I was like that's not as bad. At least they didn't say you guys didn't say my name. I'm like, oh, it's and. And I imagine it. It's nice to hear this, or it's interesting to hear this, because I do think my point, and I think as is clear by how long I've talked to you about a joke that is truly a joke, is that I am not like for me. I did not write the article to be prescriptive. I'm not being like comedy should be this way. I literally have a podcast about jokes and how yeah funny yeah it yeah is. <laughs> yeah, and it was just honestly I was just like this thing happened. I came up with a term that was clearly a lightning rod because it's like so pretentious sounding but it did like what i found fascinating and and continued to to is how people read it as if i was saying they're not allowed to do the thing they're doing anymore and that and how that speaks to how comedians see what they do i think there's there is an insecurity that that all comedians have that I think maybe it's entrenched since the 80s and people seeing comedy die and they don't want that to happen to them. Or they saw like what happened to Dane and like, oh, any minute now this can go away. And I I talked to Moshe Kasher better. I think you also talked to Moshe, Ka- Moshe Kasher about it, which is comedians, he said like comedians are so insecure that what they do is even art at all that they attack anyone who does it differently. Yeah. And I think I'm just saying, and my thing that I always say, and that's like the mission of this podcast, it's the mission of my entire career is like, you if you have zero laughs but you're a stand-up comedian that counts if you have non-stop laughs it counts i'm just trying to like help expand the definition of it and help people understand that expansion so i was nope. sort of taken by comedians being so pushing back on it so hard
2: you were part of the cannon barrage attacking yep. the castle and, but you were just one cannon who had a really good shot into a window. So yeah. like all the other ones hit the walls, but one went through the window and the one that went through the window was was hey just so you know guys we all saw Nanette and we all liked it. Yeah. And we also saw yours and we're well aware you can't do what she did. And and I think that a lot of us were like I mean I'll say I'll just say I'll just say like a lot of my friends were so bothered by nanette and i and i remember saying like hey man remember people get bothered by what we do like remember we go hey you don't have to watch it if it's not for you like remember that also applies to like what we watch also (laughs) is like and and by the way i gotta tell you i still think hannah gatsby has one of the my favorite jokes from that whole year she said when i was a kid growing up i knew more facts about unicorns than i did homosexuals and i and i said and i started going oh yeah me too and then she went unicorns aren't real and i went yeah. oh my god there's no fact and like it's such a great joke it's such a great joke but i think nanette was such a lightning rod for all of us because you watched it and you said i'm not laughing but i'm not i'm not not laughing the mm-hmm. way i'm saying hey i would have thought of that yeah i'm not laughing but i'm still listening very attentively and i'm still and i'm still laughing every now and then and then she's angry at me and i actually know she's talking to me Like, that's the other part is, like, when she was yelling, I think she was actually speaking to Burr Kreischer. And so, like, yeah. And so, part of you is like, hey, I'm not that bad, am I? Like, and then you're like, wait, hold on. Are these my thoughts? Like, it made you think in a way that made you uncomfortable, which is so brilliant for stand-up. Bill Burr gets to do it when he says, "Yeah, I don't support the troops. And everyone's like, what? But Bill does it in the way Bill does it. And then Hannah Gatsby does it in the way she does it and it was effective and it gave a voice to a bunch of people that maybe i think is it's like us as as i'll just say bro comics yeah. we're maybe ignoring or 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 sometimes un, just writing off and going like well, whatever i can say that word it doesn't mean what you think it means yeah yeah and then she's like yo it means exactly what you think it means when I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sorry hey listen hey, listen if it's any consolation your article did exactly to me what hannah gadsby's nanette did exactly to me and it got me thinking and it got me questioning like yeah what am i doing and i I can't say that i've gotten any better at stand-up and it i still remember that article and i (laughs) i still listen if if you do nothing in life if we talked about death i'm sitting here as a 47 year old man that article comes up every now and then (laughs) in my
1: head (laughs)
0: See that now I feel better. Thank you. I appreciate for taking the time. Um as you mentioned, every probably every show you've done since two thousand sixteen, people have asked you to perform the machine. I don't know if you've done it every single show since, but you've done it probably in a whole lot. The joke has changed and you know, and there's that conventional wisdom that people don't want to hear a joke twice. And I'm sure you have fans that have seen the joke, the clip of the joke multiple times. You've seen it live multiple tours. Um, there's that moment in um in, in the special afterwards where you end as if you're starting that joke. And I think that was very cool, <laughs> just as I know. So, w- w- what's it like doing it again? And I guess more importantly, what? why do you think it is that it they want this? Like, what is happening? That they well, want to hear a thing where they know it.
2: I think, so I look at everything from as a fan, I will tell you the, my favorite story I've ever heard in my entire life is Ron White's Tater Salad story. I saw it in a movie theater, and and I will tell you I've seen Ron perform live. I've never seen him perform that joke live, but if he was going to tell that story, I would run. If I was told he'll be on stage in 15 minutes at the store and he's telling that story tonight, without a doubt, I'd say to my wife, doesn't matter what we're wearing, let's get in the car and let's drive and go see that story. It's a great story. And stories are a little different in jokes. A lot of turning on someone onto comedy and bringing someone to a show is like, hey man, me and you are the team. We're trying to transfer, translate Mm -hmm. it to this person. Do the thing that I saw you that I love so that I can go, I was right. I didn't waste my night. You know. Yeah. And so now when I do it, luckily now I think the stories are big enough that when I started and I say when I was 22 years old I got involved with the Russian mafia the response is so loud that it makes me giggle just like when I take my shirt off and I forget that I I I forget where I am and in the moment I just have fun with it and I I now I can I'm at a place with my career where I can very quickly add new stuff and change stuff and pull stuff and then mash up two stories I'll put a little bit of flying dildos in there and then pull it out and then throw an old joke in there and then I'll, I'll go off on a tangent and and sometimes you go off on a tangent and go, God damn it, I wish I had written that and then when I told the story the original time. <laughs> yeah. And so I, and, and I, I'll i be honest with you, like there's times where I look down the barrel of 10 shows in five days on, at a drive-in, knowing I have late shows, which are a little different than the early shows. And and I go, and I have not told it. I've told Flying Dildos or the Will Smith story or another story just because I'm not into it 100%. And people, people will give me that. that They'll oh, be like, good. yeah, we, I appreciate it, man. It's cool hearing other stuff, too. I, and now I'm at the point where I go, oh, I got I got four stories you can hear. Everyone pick which one. And I name all four, and they lose their shit for the machine. And I'm like, cool. And it also gives an opportunity for people who don't want to wait in traffic that have already heard Believe. it to go, all right, let's get out of here. We got Sitter.
0: It's like a true encore moment. It, it's interesting the way you talk about it. It's like a jam band who's like, we have the set, and we're going to like iterate on it. And we could. it's, it's more like a live experience than it's a little bit different than like oh what do you normally come to for a comedy show which is like
2: oh we're yeah. this is now a community dude that there's been iterations of that story that are so enchanting i was in i was in bristol in england and i started it off and i went and i by the way i am not putting this out there because i want this to happen again i did not enjoy this for an <laughs> as an artist but it was amazing as i, I said when i was 22 years old i got involved with him off me here's how it happened and i started i said I went to school at Florida State, and I heard a, a hum over the crowd of, I went to school at Florida State. And I was like, I wasn't – and they were like, I wasn't a very good student. And they were reciting it with me. And I went, hey, you guys can't – you guys got to stop. I go, you're fucking me up. And and I would keep going. And when I get to pivotal parts of the story, they'd be like – and so I stood there in his door, and I said, uh, I am – and they go, I am the machine. And it was like, I mean – To the point where I was, when I was done, I was crying, laughing. When I got to the end, the whole room standing up. And by the way, this is a smaller room in Bristol, I think, down by the sea. I think that's where Bristol is. Everyone was standing up. Fuck that bitch. This is Russia. And I was like, I I got off stage. I was like, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, hopefully. But it's like, you say that, but please don't do that. I'm not looking for that in my career. That's the (laughs) last
2: thing I'm looking for is to do a sing along at the end of my show.
0: (laughs) And yet. It's going to happen. <laughs> so now it's time for our final segment, which is the laughing round. It's it's like a lightning round, but because this is comedy, uh, it, it's called a laughing round. It's more like a lightning round, shorter jokes, easier questions. Uh, do you have a favorite joke
2: joke, like a street joke? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> uh, Bill Burr told it to me. It's my favorite joke. It's my favorite joke. By the way, I have a few favorite jokes like like I, one of my favorite jokes was uh, is a Robert Schimmel joke uh, uh, that I know I know you've heard me tell because it's great. He said uh, he said he was he was watching Siegfried and Royd. And and someone said, So you know, Siegfried and Roy, man, that guy got attacked by a tiger. Can you believe that? And he was like, Yeah. And he's like, the guy goes, How did that happen? He goes, Well, I'll tell you how it happens. You're a tiger. <laughs> you're in the you're in the jungle with your buddy, your twin brother. Some guys catch you, throw you in a cage, spray paint you white, send you to Vegas to perform with two gay guys. And then one night, five years in, you look at your brother and you're like, This all ends tonight. That's <laughs> one of my favorite ones. This is the best. This yeah. is the best street joke. This is the best street joke there is, in my opinion. And I and by the way, uh please send me all street jokes. I love a good street joke. All right, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to try to sure. do it right. So, lions in the jungle. Uh, have you heard this? I don't keep on going. Lions Lions in the jungle goes over to the river to take a sip of the river and as he does his tail sticks straight up in the air. Gorillas behind him in the jungle looks and see the tail's up in the air, sees an open opportunity. Real quick, runs up behind the lion and gives him the old Liberace, you know, like a little from behind. Lion screams. Gorilla gets scared. He takes off, sprint through the w- jungle, getting away from the lion. Lion's on his tail. Gorilla gets a little bit ahead. And as, as he does, Gorilla runs up on a whole camp of like a safari camp. So real quick, he looks around, grabs a pair of khakis, throws them on, sees the New York Times, puts on a hat and puts the New York Times up to his face. Right? Lion runs through the campment, sees the gorilla, says, Hey man, have you seen a gorilla come through here? And gorilla drops it down and he goes, You mean the one that just fucked that lion in the ass? And the lion goes, It's in the papers? <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke. I love that joke. It's in the papers? <laughs>
0: that is so funny. Oh, that's one of my favorite jokes ever. It's a beautiful mix that sometimes street jokes have of like being really offensive at parts and then ending so stupid and so cartoonishly. Um, Do you have a a joke you wish you could steal? A joke that it's a, a, you know, not steal like in a way that you get caught and Joe Rogan be maddy, but it's another dimension. Everything's the same, but you have this joke or a joke you saw and you was like, I wish I
2: thought that joke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wish I had... See, here's the thing is I wish I had any of Attell's jokes, any of them. Yeah. There's a joke that Attell told that I wish I had thought of. There's a Stanhope joke that he about 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 um about customer service in India that I think is absolutely brilliant, but probably my favorite joke that I wish I had written is it, so quick, but David Attell said, uh, is it just me or does an owl look like an attorney for a parrot? And I just thought... Oh my God, that is fucking amazing. I mean, just amazing.
0: You mentioned a little bit, but is there a, a, a younger comedian, especially that you have a crush on, like a comedy crush on? You you're, you have a crush on their comedy.
2: The guy I have a kind of a comedy crush on is um, is uh, Chris DiStefano. Mm. He's so quick and he's so honest and he's so open that when anytime he's on a podcast, I listen to it. He is so funny and, you know, and the other thing is, like, when we go back to, like, splitting who you are on stage versus who you are off stage, he is just this kid from Brooklyn, yeah. from Bay Ridge, that, that, and that's who he'll always be for the rest of his life. And it's who he is when he walks to the bodega, and it's who he is when he takes his daughter to the park, and it's who he is on stage. And I, and I really... I, I can't say enough good things about him. I mean, obviously, you know, Nate Bargatze I, I, isn't that much younger than me, but his comedy is just fucking genius. I could watch yeah. – he's 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 the kind of guy that I put his special on and I say, honey, you need to watch this, you know?
0: Um. Do you have a joke of yours you'd wish you can redo?
2: Do I have a joke? I you can I redo? Re- redo? The joke I feel like didn't get enough um, is – uh, Disneyland on acid. I, if I could redo that, that would be a much mm. better joke. I was too young when I wrote it.
0: Yeah. Um, this will be the last one. Do you have a, a joke or a story that um, you really believed in and then you've tried and it didn't work and you've tried it over and over again and didn't work, but you will go to your grave being like, I'm right and they're wrong. This is funny as shit.
2: Uh, yeah. I have I've, I've, I've a fucking ton of them. I mean, I have a story about swallowing a fly uh that I think is brilliant that I just haven't fit in anywhere and I can't fit in. I had a joke about dolphins in strip clubs. I had a joke about strip clubs but like that I every time I would go to it I would be like, why doesn't anyone liking this? Like mm-hmm. it was the it was that I, I they always have different versions of women in strip clubs, like meaning blonde haired, a little bigger, a little darker, Italian, Latin, you know, Russian, big blonde big tits. And I was like, what if they had different eras of women? And they're like, put your hands together. For Martha, she's from the 1900s. Her her town calls her a witch, and you're going to find out why. Martha, like that, everyone always was like, huh? Um, <laughs> I, I want to tell the story so badly, and I don't know how to do it, but I want to tell the stories from Travel Channel hmm. because for whatever reason, they're isolating. I drank goat's blood with a Maasai chief one time, and I just it just never turned. Uh, people, it was like so far removing like there were things about travel channel when i'd share the experiences it was almost like they would be like wait what like how am i who who is this guy what are we supposed to be listening to um drank ghost blood with the Maasai chief ran motorcycles through rice paddies in vietnam was the first person to jump off the stratosphere i want to tell that stratosphere story so well because it's such a good story let me just give it to you real quick it's such a good story is that I was told I was the first person to jump off the stratosphere. That's why they flew me out. I was working for Travel Channel. It's an 1100 foot free fall. It's controlled descent. It was supposed to be amazing. I'm so scared knowing that I'm going to be the first person to do it. And then I get there and they're like, listen, because of time, we're not going to be able to have, uh, interview people that have already done it. Like People that have done it. So we're going to interview people who've done it already. And I was like, what do you mean people have done it already? I'm the first person. Yeah. And they're like, no, obviously they've sent people off this uh, the edge of this. I mean, they, they don't do it with just water dummies. They've done it with people. And yeah. so I was like, well, who is it? And they had, they had what did they had done is they had been offering a hundred dollars to anyone that worked as an employee at the casino to jump off during their lunch break. And they would get a hundred bucks every time they jumped. So what you've got was a bunch of really down their luck, kind of broke people. Yeah. Now tr- clearly worked for the casino, you know, like, uh, like a, an 80 year old Vietnamese woman is who I talked to dressed in a jumpsuit, like her her uniform under the jumpsuit and i remember i said um i said how how was the jump and she went fine (laughs) and i was like and i was like i was like what what made you want to jump and she said my son's in prison and i was like what she goes my son's in prison so i just jump as many times as i can i eat my lunch in the elevator and i jump and I'm like, wait, what? And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. We've paid these people to jump. So, so like, ma'am, and they were making her script answers. And her answers were so fucking hilarious. And then one answer that meant a ton to me was she, I said, is it scary? She said, first time, no. Second time, terrifying. And I went, why? She goes, because you know it might not work this time. And I went, whoa. So I go to jump on the stratosphere, and I tell him at the last minute, I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to jump. I don't want to jump. It's, I'm, it's, You know what? I can't do it. I'm terrified, and I can't do it. And my executive producer, Dan Adler, says, you don't have to do it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to jump. I said, what? He said, all I need you to do is get my viewers to the fourth act. The fourth act is you on the edge. If you don't jump or not jump, it doesn't matter. We don't lose numbers in the show. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, so don't jump. Get on the edge. Get scared, start crying, freak out, have a fit, and walk off, and we'll be fine. I was like, oh, cool. I'm not going to jump. So I tell the crew, I'm not going to jump. I'm going to get up to the edge. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It'll be. I'll make a big scene. It'll be fine. So like, yeah. okay. So we get to the edge. I'm on the side. My cameraman, Scott Sands, is hooked into the side of the building. He's not even on the th- – he's like dangling off the building. And he says to me, hey, man, if I were you, I'd jump. I said, what? And he goes, he goes it's your show. Your name's on the show. This will be in the in the, in the the trailer for the show. This will be in there. And people are going to be like, he jumped off a building. And he goes, and I got to be honest with you, the mayor's down there with with, uh, with David Copperfield. I was like, what? And he goes, look down. I look down, and there are 400 people at the landing zone to watch me jump, be the first person that jumps. He's like, he's got shots of tequila. There are doves. The mayor's there. The owner of the casino. Steve wins that. Like, he's naming all these names. And yeah, I'm yeah. like. I'm like, fuck it, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping. And they're like, what? And I go, I'm jumping, I'm jumping at three. And, I, and he goes, all right, all right, are we ready? Are we ready? And I go, I'm jumping right now. Like three, two, one, I jump, I land. And it is absolutely magical. It is magical. It's one of the best experiences of my life. And I deliver a speech to the big wings (laughs) of Las Vegas that is absolutely moving. This is the best thing I've ever done since the birth of my second child. This is what life's about, is taking moments like this. I grab the tequila. I shoot it. Doves fly out from me. David Copperfield does a magic trick, delivers it to me. (laughs) Thank you. Good night. Everyone walks off. My producer comes up to me. She goes, we didn't get it. So I go, what? She goes, we didn't have audio down here. We have a camera, but you said you weren't going to jump. So I didn't have audio set downstairs. So we didn't get it. And I'm like, are you shitting me? She's like, we need to get, we need you to do it again. And I'm like, do it again. This is what the Asian lady said is terrifying. The first one was fun. This one's terrifying. So I get in the elevator. I go up to the top. I get on the edge. Now there's no fucking fanfare. Mm -hmm. Like I'm up there and they're like, you ready to jump? Now I have to jump. There's no getting out of this. I am definitely jumping. And all I know is this will be terrifying. So I go up, I get on the edge. They have audio down there. I'm supposed to recite the same speech. I jump. I, As I'm coming, I go, This. what if this doesn't work? And my heart is racing. It is terrifying. And at the last second, it saves my life. when I stand up. I am like freaked out. I'm not happy. I cannot deliver the speech. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And all I see is that same lady on the fucking, that that I did the interview, sweeping up. She's the only one there. She's sweeping up. She goes, what did I tell you? (laughs) I was like, fuck, fuck. It's such a good story. I want to figure it out for stage. But it's like. I got to be back in clubs for that one. I can't do that yeah. in drive-ins. Yeah, but I yeah, that's a story I've been wanting to tell.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for for having, uh, telling it to us. Thank yeah. you for being here. It, this is uh, so great.
2: I'm I'm being dead serious. This is my favorite podcast. I've I mean, <laughs> other than Joe Rogan, which changed my life. But like, this is this is what I, I love. This shit. I could do this shit all day long.
0: That's it for another episode of Good One. You can watch The Machine, The Cabin, and Bert's last two specials on Netflix. Listen to the Bertcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Bert on social media at Bert Kreischer. Good One is a production of myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Gottam Srikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox. You can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Colin Quinn. Have a good one. Support for this episode of Good One came from the Wondery Podcast, WikiHole. WikiHole takes listeners on a wild journey through the most bizarre catacombs of everyone's favorite crowdsource online encyclopedia. Listen to host Darcy Cardin and her funniest comedian friends dive deep into the obscure, the absurd, and the curiously inane there's truly something for everyone with a taste for oddly fascinating information. Whether you're interested in Crystal Pepsi, Lenny Kravitz, or how Cardan's beer of dolphins connects to and Hats. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can list to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night.